Okay, I think I'll just get started then. Um, thank you for coming today. Uh, as like they said this morning, it takes a lot to get out of a lot of people's classrooms and your jobs and that kind of thing, so I appreciate you coming out today. Um, my name is Laura Camp, and my title is School Climate Facilitator. Uh, we came up with that kind of in a roundabout way, um, mainly because I was doing mostly PACs, and then PBIS started going on my plate, being trauma, tra training people about being trauma-informed in the schools. I was trying to look for a word that kind of captured all of that, and a lot of <coughs> schools have a school climate specialist. I didn't think I was really a specialist because I don't know all about school climate, but I do know a few <coughs> things very well, and I can help schools facilitate that part of it and get them started in going on that. And so then that's where I kind of am standing right now. <coughs> so the things I work most with is PACS Good Behavior Game. Um, I'm a certified PBIS trainer and certified PACSIS trainer as well. I work for PACSIS as well. And then understanding and managing trauma in the school. So those are the three areas that I train in and support schools in. A um, little background how I got into this was um, I was a teacher off and on <coughs> over several years in different places, mostly in junior high and high school, my in-classroom experience. This is stuff with the younger grades as well. Um, my last years in the classroom were at a, a community college in the area, and I became super frustrated because I would have sometimes 24 students at the beginning of the semester, and I would end up with two that would pass. Um, a lot of these were adult students. They weren't necessarily straight out of high school. Um, and it just became really frustrating to me. And my first reaction is, man, these people are so stupid. They don't want to do anything. And then I started really thinking, wait a minute. I don't think it's they're stupid, that they're stupid. I just started looking at them as people and realizing that they just had no hope and no desire. So I really started trying to figure that out. And I had a little bit of a background in psychology as well. <coughs> did a lot of research and realized that there are a lot of reasons why people check out in life. Um, then we also had a son who was extremely bright and motivated, and he one day just kind of checked out on life as well. And I can almost tell you exactly the day that that happened, and later on we realized that we experienced extreme trauma, and we can almost tell you exactly the week that happened. And so again, going through this whole thing with him, um, again, learning lots and lots about what trauma can do to people and how they check out. So after about eight years of teaching at the community college and failing umpteen amount of people, I felt like this really is not helping anyone very much. Um, so I started trying to look for other things. And then this job came up at the ESC. They had received a um, Safe Schools Healthy Students grant. And I'm very honored that the person who that all started with is actually here today. I met him this morning coming in. This is Corey Dobler. I'm honored for what you're doing. So I, I, I saw him this morning and I almost went to cry. Um, because he really started this whole project with the same desires and the same things that I was thinking of. Something has to change. We need to be aware of this because people are just checking out. Um, so he started this project. Long story short, the Educational Service Center got a a grant that um, serviced just one of the four counties that our ESC has. So Williams County was the recipient of the grant, and the grant was to do exactly the things that I was looking at, making schools safe and students healthy. So honestly, I would stretch those to be part of this project. I didn't really care what it was, I wanted to be part of this project. Long story short, I was one of the few on the team who had an education background. The grant ended up having to do this thing called Tax Good Behavior Game. 
I was the one with an education background, so it was like, here, Lord, take that. Um, and I spent the summer reading and studying about that, um, reading and studying about PDIS, and then started coordinating trainings for it, and then the rest kind of took off from there. So that's how I got involved in all of this, and then eventually um, I'll explain some more of that as we go on. Okay. So at the beginning of this year and last year, our ESC does what they call, it's just kind of like a welcome back to the school year thing. And we had someone named Diane Patton come and talk to us, a motivational speaker. And one of the things that she says is you need to know your why. So I sat down and I wrote down what that my why really is. My why is that I believe that there's possibility for growth <coughs> and an ability to gauge and a desire and a desire to learn in every person and child regardless of what's happened to them. I believe that that is there and the possibility is there. I know that sometimes we can't reach it, but I believe that's there and that's kind of my goal is how can we reach every adult and every student so that they can desire to learn. Because um, I love learning and I love reading and I love investigating and it just makes me sad when people don't have that. And then the other thing, um, I was really focused on students for a while and I've been starting to realize Kind of like when you get on the airplane, if you don't put your gas mask, your oxygen mask on yourself first, and then put it on your child, we have troubles. So I started realizing more than ever that I really wanted good people to become teachers, and I want good teachers wanting to stay teachers. Because the more and more I work with teachers, the more and more I realize that that is fundamentally something that we needed to work on. Okay. So there's three learning objectives for this session. The first one is understanding how PACS, GBG, and PBS, PBIS are developing simultaneously in 15 of our 23 Northwest Ohio school districts. How many of you are familiar with PACS? Okay, good. What about PBIS? Yeah, all right, excellent. If you're not familiar with PACS, if you just walk out of this door at the end of this section and turn right the second table, is a PAX table with lots of information and stuff that she can help you out with. Um, get a lot of information there. So that's the first thing we'll talk about. Um, then the second one is learning the critical difference about supporting implementation of a program versus not supporting implementation, what a difference that means. And then the last one is how did we manage to figure that out in our community when the grant ended. Okay, so first I'll just talk about how the two started happening in our districts. Okay, so we are in the foremost northwest counties of Ohio. Um, I was just telling somebody that every time something happens in Columbus, I think we drive about the farthest of anybody in the entire state to get here, um, but that's okay. Very rural communities. Then within our ESC, the ESC is like smack in the middle of the four counties, and then all the school districts around them. So there's the counties are Williams, Defiance, Fulton, and Henry. We don't have Toledo, so we're all rural. There's 23 school districts, about 25,000 students served overall. Um, and our districts are pretty small. One of our districts, actually K through 12, only has 388 students. Um, one of the, in the largest district has about 2,500 students. I grew up in Los Angeles, and some of the schools around us, the graduating class was 3,000 students, so it's quite, quite different than a lot of other people's communities. So when I say 23 districts, um, sometimes 
I could be talking about the same amount that one of your districts might have. So the thing that would be difficult is that it, I, it could take me maybe an hour and a half to drive from one to another. So just to give you an idea of where we're at. A little bit of a timeline. Um, 2013 through 2017 is when the ESC received the Safe Schools Healthy Students Grant for just Williams County. Um, they were mandated to do several things, but PACS, PBIS, and social workers were pretty much three of the main things that we stressed, and there were some other initiatives we needed to work on with schools as well. Um, by the time that grant ended, there were about four districts or schools using PACs. There were about 97 educators and about a little over 1,000 students that were actively reached. And I say actively reached because I know that there were some teachers that just didn't buy in. And so I tried to create a number of um, the number by teachers that I knew were actually meaningfully doing PACs. And then as far as PBIS was concerned, at that time it was mostly all done through the SST and we just set up the trainings for it. We weren't really doing any support at that time. Then at the end of that grant in June 2018, our ESC actually, um, we, we really liked the results of PACS in Williams County and so then the ESC director said, well, we'll pilot it in the other counties in the other three, in the school districts of the other three counties. And so at that time, there were about eight schools that took us up on it. So at the beginning of that school year, we had eight more schools on top of the original four schools. And I thought there was going to be one teacher in each one of those new schools to support. And then Ohio Cheers came along and then those eight teachers who piloted did such an amazing job with PACS. Before I knew it, Ohio Cures was training over many, 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 many teachers. And we ended up exploding. Um, so we ended up with, yeah, 227 educators just within that year and 3,000 students. So it just exploded with Ohio Cures. I will say, almost every single one of those educators who were trained in PACS that year, those two couple years there, um, were all volunteers. In fact, anything from 2018 on, all of them volunteered to be trained because I kind of made it, I, I noticed that when they were forced to be trained, they didn't buy in. The ones who were volunteering to be trained bought in, and then everybody else around them, around them wanted to be trained as well. So um, the growth came mostly voluntarily. Then the summer of 2018 came along and House Bill 318 came and that meant that really upped the ante for schools to start PDIS and with that also the ability for school, uh, for the educational services centers to also support schools in their development of the PDIS framework and not just the SSTs. But in the meantime I've been working with our SST been doing some of the trainings, and PAXIS had also been working um, with me to develop kind of a PAX PDIS combo training. So when House Bill 318 came along, <coughs> it was pretty much set up right away to help the schools also develop PDIS in their buildings. So that happened then, and then so by this time, all the Safe Schools Healthy Students funding was gone. We did receive a primary prevention fund. All that really does is pay for my ability to work and drive from school to school, but we have no more funding for anything else beyond that. Um, and then at this point, we are in 15 districts. There's about 455 trained staff. 
about over 5,000 students actively reached. We have about 30 embedded partners, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, the SST and our ESC are working together, but pretty much most of the districts that are doing PBIS, um, I'm working with them directly. There's a couple that are still working with the SST, and some of us are combining efforts. And um, yeah. So that's kind of where we're at right now. And then we're also going to be offering trauma-informed, what, what it means to be trauma-informed in your school districts as a training. Okay. So what came first? And this is kind of a little interesting to how all this happened. Um, some of the schools already were doing PBIS, and some of them were already doing PACT. And so it kind of, which one came first? It varies between different schools. A lot of the schools were doing PACs, and they were having great success with it within their classrooms. And they were saying, can we do this school-wide? Because it would really be nice if we were all talking the same language. And I'm like, yeah, that would be great, but we really should use the PBIS framework to do that, because it makes much more sense to do that as part of the whole PBIS framework <coughs> instead of separately. So then that's how PBIS entered into those schools. And then there were other schools where they had no PACs, no PBIS. Then they started wanting, they had to do PBIS because of this law suddenly coming out, making it a little bit more enforced. And they're like, okay, we need help getting our PBIS framework up. And they started realizing what they needed to do with the PBIS. And they said, well, what's a good way we could do this? And it was perfect because then I said, hey, there's this thing called PACs that you can do to help. And so some schools started with PBIS, some did not. Um, Regardless, it's been kind of the perfect storm because the schools that had these volunteer teachers who were doing PACs, there were a few teachers who just aren't buying it or just weren't interested. But now PBIS says we got to be on the same language school-wide. So it's kind of pulling in by default those teachers who just really didn't want to get on board. So it's been kind of a nice little combination of things, basically both of them are um, exploding together, okay? So eventually what I want to get at is the PACs and PBIS, not one versus the other, and um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Ohio improvement process, but basically it's basic education. There's a gazillion different names for this process. Basically you identify your needs, you research something that's evidence-based to fill your needs, you plan how you're going to implement it, you implement, and then you look at your data and you make adjustments as it needs, and it goes on and on and on, okay? So the long-term goal is it's not one or the other, trying to figure that out, but the long-term goal is that it's, all of this is together in this improvement process, <coughs> basically PBIS constantly assessing, okay? All right, are there any questions? All right, so we'll move on to the next objective. Um, the next objective is a big, big part of the success of PBIS has been support in the schools for the teachers and not just training them and then saying, have fun, okay? So I'm going to talk a little bit about why that's so important before I tell you about how we continued that after we lost a lot of grant funding. All right, so first identify the problem. When we started, well, when I started, I was in charge of organizing these trainings. A PACS training and the PBIS training. Hey, come to this PACS training, come to this PBIS training. I really was a little bit clueless myself, 
And so these schools started up with it, and it kind of ended up not being really great for a lot of the teachers because, and this is the analogy that I said a couple times to some teachers, and they're like, that's exactly what we feel like. I felt like what we were asking them to do is this team builds a bike in French, and you build this bike over here in Welsh, and then both of you, everybody needs to try to ride the bike together in German, okay? And because it just felt like, okay, we're supposed to do this, which just is like this, but this uses this language and that loses this, this uses that language. What are we supposed to do? And then what happened came out some very, very classic trauma symptoms. I ain't gonna do anything. I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm shutting down. So what I saw was a lot of that and all the hard work we put into both was really falling apart because we weren't really helping teachers see how it fit. We were just saying, do it, okay? And so this is kind of what ended up happening. Um, why that happens? A big part of it is because I think we give what we call a fire hose treatment. Um, and that's exactly what the PACS training is. It's six hours, sit in a room, we blast you with information, 40 years of research, all these different ideas, and then we say, have fun, okay? The PBIS training is two days, have fun, changing the <coughs> entire climate of your school, okay? The difference with PACS from a lot of other programs is that as much as possible, one of the intentional things about PACS is we don't just say, have fun, but someone comes to your classroom, to your school on a regular basis, constantly, and is a, what we call a PACS partner to help teachers implement. Because by the time they're done with that six hour training, they don't remember, okay? You don't remember what was at the beginning. You don't remember what was at the end. You don't remember how you're supposed to even start. You just wanna go home and eat pizza and have a beer, right? And so it's kind of this classic thing you've probably all been there. You go to the training, you have this great manual, and you say, okay, I'm gonna go home and I'll read it tonight um, before I go to bed. And so then you put it down and then you pass out because you're tired. Well, I'll look at it this weekend when I have time. Um, spring break, I think I'll have some time to really look through this. How about summer when there's really a lot of time to look at this? And then you have a stack of manuals of things that never get read, right? So the PACS manual is a fantastic manual, but I would assume that probably, maybe of the teachers that I know, maybe eight to 10% actually read the manual. And they have their little stickers in there and their tabs and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, I'm impressed. But I think most people are in this category. So that's one of the problems that we have with implementation, okay? Um, I have some research here just to show you, kind of and emphasize the importance <coughs> of why it's important that you keep following up with, with people when you train them on something. Um, this was one particular uh, program that they did and they followed up for quite a while. It was some sort of life skills um, and I, just put the guy's name in there so that we can kind of know. But the overall prevention of the schools and the, of the overall quality of the prevention program of the school was low. The average prevention activity receives a passing grade of 57%. So basically when they evaluated how this program, that was an evidence-based program, was being implemented, only about 57% of it was 
actually being implemented. And then they also kind of did an analysis that for it to actually make a difference, 60% really, really should be implemented. So you can see from that that chances are it probably wasn't making much of a difference. And that's a big problem because then the teachers are like, ah, it didn't make any difference and it's here today. Now they're going to do something else tomorrow. And then we just kind of go on and on and on and on like that because we don't really implement a program. We just say it doesn't work without really, really stepping back and implementing it. Um, and then some of the research that they did was saying that really most of the things that we implement in school are actually even less than that 67 or 57 or 60 percent of implementation. Okay. So if you're left on your own with the fire hose treatment, that's what happens. So what's the difference? Why, why does this happen? Teacher turnover is a big one. I don't know how many teacher schools have spent money on training. I had that just this summer. One school um, trained all their teachers at the beginning of August, and then three of them left by the time school started. So they paid them to go to the trainings, they paid for their manuals, they paid for an extra day of school, and then they took other jobs. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing is people want to adapt best practices. Well, if it's an evidence-based program, you need to follow the evidence best practices. But so many times we're like, yeah, that's a neat idea, but I'm going to do it like this. And so it doesn't really quite work, so then the whole thing doesn't work is what they think. Or they'll supplement or replace materials. Um, but the biggest thing is the failure to use the technical assistance which is available. And in this particular study, um, and this is what I have experienced over and over and over again, just saying, hey, if you need me, give me a call, forget it. Nobody gives you a call. Nobody responds to you. Nobody thinks they need help or takes the time for it. So technical assistants kind of have to get in their face um, with it instead of just saying, I'm here if you need me. Okay? So this is another part of the problem. We train them and give them all this information, expect that they're going to retain it, and then they have to turn around and go back to their 24, 25, 30, 100 students or whatever, start teaching lesson plans, this and that and that, coaching and whatever else that they have to do. Um, so it's really, really hard to try to process everything that you just trained and learned in your fire hose training, right? Um, when you have to go back to your regular classroom. This is what I get to do after I process things. I get to sit in my car and drive 20 minutes through nice little countryside from one, car, one school to another and just think about everything we talked about, think about that school, think about what we just talked about, think about how I can help them out. I have time to process all of this stuff. Um, I'm super, super busy, but it's my job to process. And so technical support and assistance is really, really important because you need someone who has that time because the teachers really, really don't, okay? So if we give them the fire hose treatment, we need someone who has the time to process and connect things for them because they don't often have that time sometimes or even ability to do that. In fact, um, there's a lot of talk about teacher burnout I ran into this, um, this article and then I read her book, her name is Doris and Pearl. <coughs> She's saying that the amount of teachers that quit, it's not burnout really, 
Um, so what we often do is say, okay, you, have, you know, teacher burnout is a real big thing. Teachers keep quitting, so you need to go take a massage, <coughs> take care of yourself. But that's not the problem. The problem is all these things that just keep coming at them and coming at them and coming at them. All these fire hose things just keep coming at them, and they just feel demoralized because they can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, and there's actually, um, this book is really good, and there's actually a table out there. I took their card, but there's a table, well, I think, kind of right behind where the snacks are. Um, it was a couple that wrote a book with a very similar thing. I ended up talking to them. So if you're interested in that topic, um, very similar, similar stuff that she's read. Okay. All right, so 61 of our teachers say they're stressed out. 50%, 58% that mental health is not good, okay? And we're here to talk about um, what our kids are experiencing. I think it's also important to t realize what our students are, ex our teachers are experiencing, okay? Um, this one research that the um, John ha uh, Penn State did and the, what was it, one other foundation, I can't remember, I had it written down somewhere. Anyways, they, they, they did some research that the high quality teachers means ensuring that they have, to get high quality teachers, you need to make sure that they have voice in school level decisions and not subjecting them to unrealistic expectations, okay? And that's where I think PBIS comes in. A lot of PBIS comes out from a dark room where six people, the chosen, made this whole PBIS framework. And then they come out and say, hey, this is what we're doing. And the rest of the staff's going, where did that come from? How, and then they're just like, um, and that, that's a big problem. The more that they have control over what's going on, the more impact on their positive stress. Um, this one, the Gallup poll in 2014 among professional occupations, teachers rate lowest in feeling that their opinions count at work. I think that's pretty profound. I also read once that nurses, physicians, and teachers, those three are the ones that feel the most stress of things constantly changing, constantly needing to be recorded, and they don't actually get to do what they signed up to do. Um, my husband's a family physician, and I will tell you that. Very true for him. And then for the teachers that I talk with, too. I just want to teach. Um, I just want to be a doctor. So that comes to play with this as well, needing. Okay. Then the whole social emotional part of it that we've been talking about for students. Um, and this is kind of interesting because when I do PACS trainings, one of the questions we ask the, the uh, attendees to do is okay, so what do you want students to take with you for life? And then they'll say, confidence, you know, ability to discern good things and all this kind of thing. Well, what do you not want to take with your life? Insecurity, drugs, all that kind of thing. No one ever, ever says the ability to do calculus really well, um, the ability to list off all the presidents, okay? Never once in about 50 trainings has anybody ever, ever said anything like that. It always comes down to relationships, okay? But we need to get over the idea that teachers know how to build relationships, that they, they themselves have the social-emotional aspects of it, okay? We just assume that we're 1,300 people here today 
And we're all going to go back and tell our staffs to have social-emotional learning ability to teach our students, but half, half, if not more, of us don't even have that ability. So how can that happen? This comes from that same um, Penn State thing, actually a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, that's what it is. I don't know if you could read this, but basically, uh, teacher social emotional consequences of teacher stress, so causes and consequences of teacher stress. Federal, state, district, school policies. Sources of teacher stress, school organization, job demands, work resources, and social emotional competence. Those are big sources of teacher stress, okay? From that, consequences, low performance, um, lack of well-being, increased absenteeism, high turnover. Uh, other consequences, lower student achievement, lower continuity for students and parents, and higher educational costs. So if we're trying to figure out how to help our students, I think we need to help figure out how to help the educators here, okay? So, what are we gonna do about that? A solution relative to a condition of teacher training alone. Um, this is something that, that PACS really builds on. Those in the combined coaching and training condition experienced significant improvements in the closeness of their teacher and student relationships, and that actually affects their academics and their self-concept, okay? So the coaching and training combined actually has the largest effect there. So with PACS, the model is the PACS partners. Um, when we started the Safe School Healthy Students Grant, we had a nice amount of money, and we took some retired teachers who were great people, and they had actually, most of them been former teachers in the schools that they worked in, so each school had its own partner and they were great people, and so they would go into the schools every week and work with each teacher every week for about an hour between communication and actually working with the teachers, help them with cats, um, observe, and that kind of thing. Um, that was, had some, we did some things wrong, but overall, that was really nice. But who's got the money to sustain that, right? That's really not a very realistic thing to sustain. So, but the different models that really happen, um, this one's classroom modeling of kernels. So what that, that kind of partnering is, and we did that for a while, and I loved it, it was a lot of fun. I would go into the classroom with the teacher, and then I would model a strategy, and then the teacher would do it, and then we would kind of look at it, watch the students, and then talk about how the students responded to it. I'd come back the next week, talk about how it went, and that kind of thing. I love that because gave me a lot of interaction with the students and that kind of thing. But again, it takes a lot of time. I have 450 educators right now. There's no way I can do that anymore. This one is tier two and tier three implementations. Ideally, one of the things that we would be doing is actually working with students that are struggling and giving them some extra help. So like, yeah, exactly what that talks about. So, I would help teachers with some extra strategies and PACs. Um, another model is coaching and support for PACs teachers one-on-one, -on -one, and this one is in groups. So this is pretty much where we're at right now. I can't meet with all of these <coughs> teachers, so I meet with them in groups. So I might like go to, like for instance, Thursday, I go to school in Swanton, 
and I get there at about 9, and I stay there until about 2.30, and then first grade has their teacher-based team meetings. I spend 15 minutes of that meeting, and then, then about an hour later, the second grade, and then the third grade and fourth grade. And I spend about 15 minutes with each group of teachers, and then talk to them about PACs. Okay, um, here is some, just some data on um, why it's important, and I'll just skip through that. Okay, um, programs that are most successful, this is kind of interesting based on this one research. The coordinator's jobs are dedicated to the program. Um, I am very, very unique in Ohio, I know for that, and a lot of people really envy my situation because this is all I do. Our ESC has really blessed me and said, this is your job. And I know a lot of people don't have that, and so when I go around and talk to different people around the state, they're like, oh, that would be so nice. And I think it is one of the reasons why that we're able to do what we can do. And I'm actually paid for it, so it makes me more committed, and that also is indicated in the research that coordinating someone full-time um, is really important. So what happens when um, you when you get that critical uh, backup, um, you can clearly identify core components of the intervention and built-in adaptations, differentiating professional development experiences and contextualizing and embedding coaching. So the first one, it's really important that I, whenever I go in um, to a group of teachers, I say, okay, so here's the concept we're going to talk about today. This is exactly the best practices, how you have to do it. This is really what must happen. So that would be number one. And then number two is, okay, I know some schools do this and some schools do that. Um, yesterday I worked with a teacher and I don't know what her issue is really, but I know that she does not grasp things very well. I told her the same thing like six times. And yesterday she said something and I'm like, I almost, I almost have a look of shock on my face going, are you kidding? <laughs> You still don't know what I'm talking about, but <clears throat> so that differentiation, I needed to back up and then kind of reach her where she was at and try to figure out the smallest little thing I could do to help her to be successful, at least at some point now. And um, the contextualizing and embedding coaching, that is different at every school. Some schools, I'm able to really get people who are there all the time, and some schools not. So that, that, those are three different things that need to be done, thinking about. Okay, so the outcomes, successful implementation, change teacher behavior, and improve student outcomes. Those are the things that have happened. Um, I'll skip that one. Implementation fidelity was especially high in the project. Okay, I'll just skip that one as well. Okay, so this one was regarding PBIS, and this is definitely something that I've noticed. 92% participants in this three-year study said that adequate and ongoing training and continuous support was the fourth most successful thing for their PBIS program, okay? And that is a huge thing I've noticed about PBIS, a two-day training is a lot of information blasted at you to people who have full-time jobs and have like maybe an hour a month to work on it. Um, they come away thinking PBIS is about a store or it's about this and they really, really, it doesn't work very well. They feel a lot, a lot of pressure. P 
PBIS and PACS and SEL really require specific skills um, that are different than what we've been doing in our culture. And so we can't just assume that everyday educators who've been doing things the same way for 20 years can just suddenly go to a training one day and then change that and then go back to their schools and teach all the rest of the educators in their building it as well, okay? 76% um, of the people in this three-year study said the biggest problem was that the people who were supposed to be their PDIS team didn't even know enough PDIS themselves to really actually help them. And PDIS became a hot mess. So how can we resolve some of these problems? Uh, what they learned in here, that technical assistance was pretty much completely directly related to implementation practice success. Okay. <coughs> Teachers that had proper successful and um, technical assistance was lower job-related anxiety, higher quality interactions with students, greater teacher engagement, and another one, greater perceived job control. I see that a lot when I work with teachers and I say, hey, this is how this all connects. This is what you can do. You don't have to do this and you can do this. Then there's just like this sigh of relief. Oh, I can do this. And it's just, it's just really cool to watch that. They can improve on the things that they really want to work on um, and, and help with that. I'm going to go through a little, the, some of these a little more quickly here. Okay, so our local experience, um, when we give them the fire hose treatment, they don't know where to begin. And so when I come in and say, that's okay, all you need to do is this little part of PACS this week, I'll come back next week, and then we can work on the next one. Okay, I can do that. I can do that. Um, so that's really helpful. Then on the flip side, we've had some amazing, amazing teachers that did PACS beautifully. And then they're, oh, I don't need you anymore. And then three years into it, they're like, it just doesn't work at all anymore. It's just a hot mess. These students are awesome. <coughs> so I'll come back in and I'll say, well, let's just review some things. How's this going? <coughs> oh, I forgot about that. How's this going? Oh, I forgot about that. So even the best teachers who are implementing forget best practices so that ongoing implementation is really important. Problem solving, um, doing lots and lots of that. I've got this kid, what do I do? Um, I've had a lot of people say, we could never do this without your support. This has never happened before. We've never had something that somebody actually cared enough to come in and give us support. And I'm like, well, thank your local ESC, thank your Ohio grants, and that kind of thing, because it's definitely from that. Um, the other thing is that we get to revisit best practices. A lot of the schools that we have right now that are doing PBIS, they are all about the store and tickets. And the teachers are overwhelmed, they're mad. Some of them have even expressed they hate their PBIS team. They've used those words. And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> don't hate your PBIS team. Don't hate PBIS. Hate the mistakes that were made and the misunderstandings, and part of PBIS is revisiting what's working and not working, 
And let's revisit that, and then you can still like the PBIS team and still like PBIS. And so we've had these conversations, and it's been really, really helpful to get people back on track because I've been able to come in and say, you know what, it's not PBIS's fault, it's not PAX's fault, it's this fault, it, it's, we need to revise this and redo that, <coughs> okay? So how do we do that when we're spread all over the place? Um, and that's what I'll talk about next. But do I have any questions first before I go into how we're doing it? Um, first of all, uh, when I reread what I wrote as my topic, I was kind of like, ugh, 400 people all by myself. I'm like, actually, I'm not really, really, really fully supporting 400 people perfectly and wonderfully. Um, so I kind of feel like a little bit of an imposter. I'm saying I look really good, but I have a lot of insecurities, and I don't really know what I'm doing with a lot of this stuff, too. Um, but on the flip side, if I kept staying there, then nothing would happen. So um, it's kind of like, my husband keeps telling me this too, don't let perfection be your enemy, because I am a perfectionist and I have all these ideas that should be, and I, sometimes I let that stop me and I keep saying, okay, nope, I know what the big picture is, I know what needs to happen, it's not happening perfectly, but we'll just keep going, okay? So we had the, like I was telling you, the model of the tax partners in the individual schools. The outcome of that were, was pretty decent. Um, actually, some of the things that didn't go very well, some of the teachers felt like we were impossible into the room, that we were kind of stalking them and that kind of thing. So there were some problems with that. But overall, the biggest problem was when it wasn't sustainable. when the money left, and then some of the schools actually got really angry. In fact, there was a, one school that said, the grant ended and now you're just ditching us? Forget it. Just don't even come back. Some of the teachers were like, that had that attitude. Well, that's not very really good. We need to do something different. So how did that happen? This is my screen in porch at home. Um, I was sitting during the summer. I got to work there. Um, don't tell anybody press that too. I was sitting there trying to figure out what we were going to do because we didn't have any more of the grant funding left to do this. And then I, uh, I called my friend who worked for Praxis. I worked with Praxis as well. And we sat there for about three hours that summer day and started talking about how we could try to figure this out in our community. And we kind of came up with this tier partner model, which basically, if you see these little dots, these all represent different schools. What we did is we trained a little extra training to specific educators in each one of the buildings, and they became our embedded partners. So instead of hiring people that we could had to pay, we had specific people handpicked to be embedded partners in their building. Now, obviously, they couldn't do the same thing that our full-time people were paid, but they were definitely they're definitely an important part of it. Okay. Um, I actually ran into this just the other day when I was looking at stuff about the uh, strategic instruction model because one of my, our schools is doing that and I was just trying to learn a little bit more about it. And I thought this chart was perfect. Um, basically, the model is leveraging your investment to achieve outcomes. So how much do you have 
and you just gotta leverage it for all that you have and what you can make work, okay? So using a lot of professional development. There's some professional development and PACs and PBIS that I know will make some of those key people a lot stronger. So for instance, PACs Heroes. We've taken some of the PACs teachers and trained them a little bit further in PACs Heroes because that makes them that much stronger in PACs and then they know how to help the people in their school that much better. So more professional development. PBIS is the same thing. They become in-school experts, so they take some of the load off of me, okay? Um, we, those people, it's only, only possible if we keep looking at things, revising them, and ownership. That ownership is so important. Those embedded teachers, they have taken ownership, and it has made such a difference. Because when we had the people from the outside coming in and supporting PACs, I just felt like we were trying to shove it down their face. But when we had people in the schools who knew their schools, we hand-selected them and said they needed to be people that were really, really respected by other teachers. They just went with it. They started recruiting other teachers. They started like making transportation available for training. They started doing all kinds of stuff like that that we didn't see at all when we had outside partners. Um, so that ownership just really, really was important. Um, then you also need to, when you're leveraging your investments, look at your successes, really, really capitalize on them to make things grow and provide support systems. And then uh, planning and evaluation, schools, teachers, and departments. I have to keep kind of looking at it and looking at it again and trying to figure out where everything is and revising and that kind of thing. So that's a kind of a good big picture model of what's, what's going on. So what we really have is the Regional PACS Partner and Coordinator. So my job at the ESC was to, um, I'm just going to check my time here. My job um, was basically from the ESC, coordinate trainings, try to see who was where in each of the buildings, coordinate with their, their administration, that kind of thing. And the embedded PACS partners, their job was to just make sure that the interest was going on in their school, um, that the spirit was going there. Some of them do a whole lot more than that. But they're the ones that know the school culture because every school is so different. Um, and so I, I can walk into a political hot nightmare. Um, so a lot of times if I'm going to talk to a school, I know that that person I can trust, I can say, okay, I'm going to talk about this issue. Is that going to make anybody upset? Ooh, don't even go there, okay? And so I, thank you. And so I'm not trying to look for gossip, but what I'm really trying to do is to say, to, I have key people in each school that I can actually ask and say, what is helpful to say in the school building and what's not helpful to say in the school building? Okay, so... What I do is I do that kind of thing. Um, I'm paid, it's the 23 school districts. Um, I coordinate, I keep the vision alive for the whole area. I do think that's important that you have one person who really, really thinks big picture because if it's all these little separate people, you lose vision. You need somebody who's really uh, committed to making it happen. Um, thinking about funding, professional development, best practices, that kind of thing. Um, one of my jobs also is to help what I call the acronym soup. I think that a lot of stuff would die because people just get 
overloaded with all these acronyms. Um, you've got OTES and PBIS and RTI and OIP and CCIP and ODE and the, it just goes on and on and on and on. So one of the things I really, really try to do is tie these things together. So for instance, this is the teacher evaluation thing. Um, so to get buy-in from the principals, to get buy-in from the teachers, I'll say, okay, so when you're doing the blue here, that PAC strategy, you're reaching this teacher standard from OTES. So this is the thing that the teachers actually have to look at for their evaluation. So when you're doing this, you're already doing that. And so then the social-emotional learning standards is the same thing. When you're doing this, you're already doing this, you're already doing this, you're already doing this. Um, so that's where these conversations are really, really important with teachers. For instance, I had a teacher one time, so I can't do it. I can't do a wacky prize, give out a ticket, and then do a brain break. That's three things that I have to do for the same thing. And I'm like, okay, so why, well, tell me why. Well, I have to do the wacky prize because I'm supposed to do PACs, and I have to do the ticket because I'm supposed to do PBIS, and I have to do the brain break because we have to give them brain breaks. And so I, I looked at her and I said, well, think about it this way. Why are you giving the ticket? To positively acknowledge a behavior that you want. That's exactly what a wacky prize is in PACS. So, boom, you've just done both of those. The brain break thing, huh. So you think they need a brain break. So we do a brain break. We Say, oh man, you guys are getting fussy. I think we need a brain break. So let me go to my computer and put on a Go Noodle. And in the meantime, they're all talking while you're putting the Go Noodle on. And then you do the Go Noodle and you have your brain break. So what I've done essentially is reinforce, if you guys get restless, we get to do a brain break, right? <laughs> but if the wacky prize, if I know they're gonna get restless, I look for anything. I love your eye contact. I think we should celebrate that with a wacky prize. Let's do a 30 second wacky prize. We do a 30 second wacky prize that's full of activity, really, really you know, active. They get their brain break. We've acknowledged positive behavior. We get all kinds of social emotional stuff going on because we're having fun together. We're learning to stop, start immediately. All these things are going on in 35 seconds, okay? She just looked at me and she was like, wow. If I wasn't going there for technical support, I would never have been able to have that conversation with her. Um, she just saw these as separate silos being blasted at her. I get the joy of being in my little car, going from place to place where I can see all these connections, and then talk to a gazillion teachers all the time and share those connections. So that was a game changer for her to stick with it. And that's the kind of thing that happens um, when you get the technical support. So these are just some ideas, things that I do. This is PBIS, I keep saying PBIS is a framework, so I say, okay, when you're doing PBIS packs, if it's in your framework like this, um, the PBIS matrices that you have to have, then we show how you can use the language of packs in your matrix, okay? Um, the scripts for PACs, we can, we can actually, it's a trauma-informed way to actually teach the expectations in PBIS, so we're mingling that together. Okay, so, and then I think I've already talked about that. Um, so, some of the resources that you have when you go, when the little thing that they said you can go and get resources and handouts for the convention thing here. 
Um, I have a lot of this on, so like those PBIS things that you just saw, so you can connect that, the O-test thing you can connect, and I think actually this PowerPoint will be on there as well. Here's a document, like how do you pick those embedded partners in your school? How do we know how the right who the right people are? Okay. Uh, so when I have the meetings, this is another resource that you have. I have, I have my folders, I have my system. Um, I have a piece of paper for every single one, and this is a meeting thing. So I have my date, who I'm meeting with. Um, then I'm like, okay, so this is what's going well, what do you need help with? Let's brainstorm some idea. What goals you're going to have? Um, this is the agenda for the day. Here's what I'm going to do, and here's the next time we're going to meet. I fill that out each single time I meet with people because by the end of the day, I have no idea what I said to the first group of teachers, okay? So every group of teachers, I don't leave until I at least scribble something down there. And then the next meeting, I know exactly what I said to them, so I can sound really smart and personal, like I really remember. But I do remember because I wrote it down, okay? And then this right here is an implementation phases guideline, so I keep that with every group as well so I can check the date of what we've actually talked about. So that's one of the ways I can keep organized. So that's another um, resource that we have in there. So this is kind of what my schedule looks like. I have every others, and some I meet once a month, some I meet every other, and some I meet three times a month, um, and then on and on it goes. So if it wasn't for Google, and Google Calendar, and Google Maps, and spreadsheets, I'd be lost. There's no way I could do this job without Google. <laughs> no way. Okay, so the embedded partners. Um, I've talked a lot about what they do. Eventually, what I'm hoping is that they can run these meetings with their, their teams. So in some of the schools, I'm doing that already. So in some of the schools, I meet just with the PACS partners. And they have TDTs, teacher-based meetings, already established in their schools. So they just go back and meet with their already established, in their already established meetings. So some schools, I don't know all the teachers. Some of them I've never met. I just know the partners, okay? And then it filters down. <coughs> Sometimes that's worked really well. Other times it doesn't because the school dynamics are, I don't want somebody telling me what to do, don't tell me what to do, and there's just not that relationship building. So those partners are like, yeah, these teachers aren't listening to me, can you just come? So then I come and do those meetings. Um, so it just kind of depends, you really have to kind of know what's going on. <coughs> I've talked about a lot of this already. Um, I, I one of the things that the embedded partners do is I, I teach them how to say, Instead of saying, how's, how's PAX going? So how is the PAX harmonica working for you? How are your students working for it? And then they, a lot of times they don't even know how to deal with it, so then they can come to me and I help them problem solve. Um, so then one of the things that I've given you also in that thing is the meeting notes. I don't want those partners to have to prepare meetings. They don't have time for that. So I have everything laid out for them. They can pretty much read right off of it. And then they have meeting notes, then they have handouts, and they even have a follow-up email. They can just hit send to all of them. I have that all scripted and ready for them so they don't have to do any preparation for that with their peers. And that's what this all is on there. Okay? I 
found that actually this model has actually given me better communication and I think better implementation. I say think because I really am not in the classrooms. One of our biggest, biggest downfalls right now is we don't have time to collect a lot of data. Um, however, I did have a couple grad students this year and they did collect some data and our data was dead on with what um, I would have expected it to be and the national data, so that was kind of cool. And I wish we could do that because it would be really encouraging to teachers and be able to help us um, troubleshoot <coughs> as well. But um, one of the things I love about it the most is that I can really talk to people. Whereas before, we were just kind of running in and out of schools. And I, you know, when you go into a classroom, teachers are going to put their best show on. They're just going to suddenly be packed or do whatever they do. When I'm sitting with a group of teachers, some will sit there like this, okay? And so I can ask them a question and then kind of find out what the barrier is for them and really try to reach that barrier. I actually had a teacher throw a globe at me. <laughs> she just chucked it at me. And thankfully, I had the wherewithal to be passed and not get mad at her because I, I, I realized that she wasn't throwing it at me. She was throwing globe at the world. She was so, so frustrated. Um, long story short, she now keeps sending me pictures of her students saying they're tax model, I better myself, I better my world, I'm a tax leader, and they're holding books. Um, so it's really kind of funny, ironic that way. But the point of that is that when you're meeting in a group, you can kind of read them a little bit better. They'll start talking to each other, and you can kind of understand a little bit more what's going on than if you're just talking one-on-one. -on -one. So that's been really helpful that way. And actually, I think the rest of my slides are all saying stuff that I've already said. So, any questions? I wanted to make sure I understand because I was taking notes at the same time. So um, initially, you started out with grant funding. Right. The tax partners are embedded in the schools, and the, they're school people hired by the school, correct? They're just teachers, and they're not getting paid. They just okay. have an interest in tax, and they're saying, I want to make wow. this happen. Very cool. So then is there any other grant funding that I nope. so it's just Well, I am being funded by a grant. Okay. Yeah. But the hope is that eventually there's enough demand that when that grant dries, that the ESC will partially fund me and the schools will partially fund. And right now, it's kind of looking like that's where it will go. Um, yeah. The other key thing is if you can get your guidance counselors involved, because the guidance counselors do lessons in the classrooms. They also are the ones that get the students when the students are bad, so they can go back to the teachers and say, hey, I know this part of PACS will really help. So if the guidance counselors are involved, that's a really, really good way to get school involved as well. Was it a non-negotiable for the teachers to do PACS and then you going in <coughs> help? Originally it was. Things? It was a non-negotiable? Yeah. Okay. yeah. And that wasn't the greatest. Um, but now it's, some schools make it non Some of the principals set it up on her. <coughs> Most of them are, it's volunteer and they, you know, there are some that don't come and some that do. Uh, but most of them do, I should say. Most of them do. And I 
that's a big part of that teacher trauma and stress, uh, is really understanding that. How can I reach them to make them understand I can help them? That's a big, big part of it. Yeah. You're completely revisiting our PBIS and what that looks like in our school. Yeah. How long did it take you to kind of get the kids used to that, that, that change you that added? I'm still working on the adults. Okay. <laughs> Because, I mean, yeah. and that's kind of what we're doing is we're, we're going against two different things, you know. But we have a lot of new teachers that are like, yes, anything that you want to give us, like, they just want to soak it all up. Right. But then we've got teachers that have been teaching for 35 years. They're like, nope, this is how it's done. Yeah. And so with that mind frame, how do you change that and then introduce something new to our kids? Yeah. I, like, PBS, in my mind, is all about the adults. And then when, when the, they say if you've got 80% on board, you're doing really well, and just really put, and then um, a big part is just throwing your energy where there's interest. Throwing your energy where there's interest, and then the rest builds from that. Um, I used to beat my head up trying to convince people, and they weren't interested, and then my supervisor was sitting back there, kept mm -hmm. emphasizing to me to um, strike where the iron's hot, strike where the iron's hot, and that changed everything, putting my energy where people were interested. So did you do like a lot of uh, support for teachers first, you know, that tier one interventions for teachers? Um, we're kind of, it's all kind of like the whole wheel, it's kind of all intermingled. Okay. It really is. I think the biggest part for me is trying to just figure out where each group of people is and what their biggest block is and, and just reaching that individually because you can't fix it all at the same time. So just trying to fix the one, that's what PBS really is. Try to fix one thing that you can actually fix and then kind of go from there. Do you utilize any other support staff other than the teachers? 